Okay, so we're here with another episode of the Jim's Cast. Now we're going to talk about something you're very passionate about, Jim, which is global warming and the environment, which is quite topical, obviously, with the uh, the protests from the from the young people recently, um, which held protests all around the place about it. So maybe you want to tell us about your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, you can look at it at three different levels. One's personal, one's business, and one's in terms of public policy. On, on a personal level, um, I do my best to live in, in a sustainable way. For example, um, we feed food scraps to our chickens and we eat a lot of eggs from those and give a lot away too because we have, we have so much. Um, trying not to eat meat. We will not eat any beef in our house at all because beef is terrible. For the, cows are terrible for the environment. They belch methane, they destroy the land and they're also bad for health. So a, a diet that's mainly vegetarian, which is what I eat, is, is better. Better for health, better for the environment. That's for a start too. Um, we try and keep costs down, like turning off lights. The kids actually have a system where they sort of get fined if they leave the lights on, or they have to pay fines to each other. So it's kind of like in the centre system, so I'm always going at them about things and turning off the heater when we don't need it. So even in the national office you do that, you're notorious for that? Yes. You come and turn the lights on, who left the lights on, who left the heater on, you go and turn it off? Yeah, that's right. Mm. So I, I try to teach my kids. That they're, all, they're all keen on, on global warming environment, but they don't often relate to the practicality of how you keep your own cost down, your own carbon footprint down. And obviously we have um, solar panels wherever we can, and we generate our own electricity. My great aim down the track of it, when, when um, electric cars become more um, reasonable in price, which only probably in the next couple of years, I want to buy an electric car and I want to charge it with, recharge with solar energy from my own farm so I have a zero carbon footprint on my driving. Right. I don't drive a lot. But I'd really love to be able to never buy petrol again. But you won't buy a Tesla at the moment because they're too expensive, right? You want the cost to come Tesla's down. Tesla's too expensive, <laughs> but it's coming down. They're all making electric cars. I think that's going to be fantastic. I love the idea of electric cars. I just, I, every time you go into a petrol station, you're buying this petroleum and so forth. And well, did you see Mercedes the other day announced that they, they've stopped developing petrol engines? Made yeah. a decision, I think it was just yesterday or a couple of days ago. I think it's great. It's getting there. Mm. It's getting there. The costs are coming down all the time. I reckon next two, three years, you'll see a reasonably priced electric car and it'll, it'll be great. And I really, really want to have not even, no, no coal or anything, just, just purely solar to power my car. Because I, I drive to the farm at least once a week. And um, so I can just charge it there. Well, I'm up there. How'd you do with the battery? Because obviously there's a Tesla battery where they store the power. That's probably been the problem with them is the batteries, the storage for yeah. it. Battery, battery is the problem. Battery technology become better all the time. That's, that's a very encouraging thing. It's coming down all the time quite fast. Battery is the biggest problem. The power itself is actually at the farm we, get, we generate more power than we actually use and they don't give you a, a rebate for it. So it's a bit annoying. So mm. if, I could, if I could store the power and use it to drive my car, that'd be great. So that, that's... that's on the personal level. On the business level, um, I'm actually, in my farm, it's 100 acres of what used to be cattle, fairly degraded cattle land. What we're doing is turning into an organic um, food orchard. So we're planting thousands of trees of all kinds of nuts and fruits and everything else, all totally organic, and we're going to turn the whole area into a environmentally friendly um, place where you can where you can build where you can actually grow far, far more food per hectare than you can with cattle farming. And it's, it's well watered. It's, it's, the land's been degraded. They actually stripped off a lot in the past to take to the city to put in their gardens, which really annoys me. I just discovered that. But um, we're going to restore the fertility of the soil. We bring that back. The, um, also grow my own, a lot of my, 
I'd like to plant my, of my own food. So we grow, we've got some big potato patches and corn and pumpkin and things like that that we're growing. Eventually, I'd like to grow most of my own food mm. as well. So also in terms of Jim's group, we are very heavily committed to, particularly with the mowing division, In um, we're working with a battery-powered um, company in terms of making battery-powered mowers. And we're, we're actually in my factory in Bayswater now, we're developing a trailer that can generate its own power for the battery, which can power the mowers using so, a solar panel on the roof of, of the trailer. Yeah, so the plan is, yes. Yeah, so for the trail, the mowing trails that you'll see in the road, it's obviously there's a side panel there that they had, they had the batteries up there, yeah. which would be charging as it goes around and driving, right? Yeah. yeah. So that should be ready in a couple of weeks. And my, I, I would eventually like to see all all my franchisees driving electric cars, obviously, but um, but certainly in terms of the equipment and stuff. Electric, electric um, has actually great advantages. I use battery to pump them to mow the lawns on my farm. I use a, um, I use a uh, battery mower, electric mower, which is powered again by the solar panels on the roof, and it's recharged the batteries from that. And it's, I love using it. It's very quiet. It's safer because if you go over, a, say, the gravel, you can just you know pull it off, and you you the um, blade stop turning, mm. and it's it's really nice to use. I love. The problem is the batteries, though, isn't it? You have to go through a few batteries. Yeah, I, I do spend a bit of batteries, actually. I want to try the, the new one, this new one on the farm, to see how long that'll last for. I'm told the battery can last for about an hour, and then if you can just change them over. So hmm. it, it's really quite practical. It's, it's a good way of doing it. And actually, the, the great thing about the battery-powered stuff is that um, not only is it it's quieter, there's less vibration, it doesn't doesn't upset people with the environment with the noise, but... Um, it's also they're lower, they're, they don't, um, they're more durable. They don't wear out so much. And it's very nice too when you want to fix an electric um, a battery, but you just turn it like that. You don't have to worry about flooding the, you know, the pipes or anything like that, and you mm. just turn it over. So they're, they're great to use, easy to start. I, I love those machines. I think that's the future for, for Jim's mowing in particular. We want to do that. So in terms of policy, um, here my idea is probably a bit more controversial. Um, I think global warming is a really, really, really serious issue. And I think it's something that our government doesn't do enough to address. And I think the kinds of policies that we have are feeble. One of the things that I most object to, now I take advantage of it myself because I've got, you know, I, obviously we, we use the solar subsidies to put panels up wherever we can. But that's a very inefficient way of controlling greenhouse gases by far a better way is a very heavy carbon tax. And what should happen, the moment the problem is, you have these um, solar panels, and what they do is they charge the electricity company. And electricity companies then put up the price of power for everybody. Now the problem with that is that people who can afford to put up solar panels are people like myself, who are pretty well off. So we get a subsidy, but people who don't own their own house actually have a massively high power bill. So what you're doing is you're distributing wealth from the poor to the rich, which is the opposite of what any decent system should do. And it's also very inefficient because it's far more efficient to have a carbon tax where people make their own decisions about how to, how to save energy. For example, you may want to put a solar panel off, but you may also want to put double glazing in or insulation, or turn the lights off, or have more efficient bulbs. There's many, in fact, the, the best way to save energy is not to actually create more sustainable power, but to use less power overall. 
So it's actually, and this is just basically from The Economist, there's nothing radical about this at all. The most efficient way to solve, to, to reduce our carbon footprint is actually a carbon tax. And the fairest way is to distribute the proceeds back to the people. So actually to get people get a credit to help pay for it, which actually means that people who are um, poorer are actually better off. So do you think that it's just being used as, let's say, a political football? And obviously there's people who might say climate change deniers or whatever, or argue for the science because it's maybe it might be a popular thing to do in their, in their electorate or whatever. I won't use North Queensland as an example, but I'll say I watched a few Quanders and um, it always seems to be a Queensland senator arguing with the scientist on the panel yeah. and trying to argue against the science, which I think is quite unbelievable. But do you think it's more if they just do it out of a populist or trying to win votes, which is why it's so inefficient in the policy? Or? And people aren't prepared to make the hard decisions. And basically, there's too much power to the elites and people who are wealthy and, and running things to suit themselves and, and not to have efficient policy. Would you find it amazing that a lot of the, the people in the Senate or the House of Reps sort of can't take advice from scientists? Because that's the one thing I find amazing. When you watch these debate shows, mm. they'll bring on, let's say, a you know, world-known scientist, let's say Brian Cox or something with all this statistical data, and you've got some guy up in Queensland, this senator, who can barely, barely put, a, put a sentence together trying to argue against this guy who studies this sort of stuff. And that's the thing that I find frustrating for me is that these political people can't take the right advice from from the data. And that's what I find frustrating. The, the trouble is that, that people seem to think that you've got to think the same way. Now, I get a lot of trouble from fellow conservatives because I'm a conservative in most senses of the mm. word, especially when it comes to moral issues. Um, but then I start speaking out in favour of the environment and global warming and stuff. And people criticise me and they say, oh, no, you should, you should hold the line. Yeah, that's, you know, yeah. If you believe that, you know that, uh, for example, men shouldn't be allowed to use women's change rooms, which I firmly do because I don't want people, men, using my daughter's change rooms. Um, therefore, I'm a conservative, so I've got to think that there's no such thing as global warning, and that's just insane. Yeah, and this is the problem I have. Because, yeah. because the science is pretty clear. It is causing... You can't double the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and not have some effect on the environment. It's just ridiculous to think that that's the case. And, and we know from the past, too, there's been ages where carbon dioxide has been higher and it's warmer. And you look at somewhere like Venus, which has got, you know, like about 800 degrees because, because of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, it's obvious that we're warming the planet. We're obviously causing damage. And I think we've got to deal with that clearly and properly. I just... I just don't understand conservatives sometimes because one of the one of the issues too is that conservatives ought to be concerned about security, and that's one of the problems. We import all this oil from the most stable and undangerous place on the planet, which is the Middle East. You know all this attack on the on the Saudi oil fields lately. Mm. I mean, it's very very vulnerable. How how can we feel comfortable with that? Wouldn't it be so much better if we focused on our own internal sources of power. Which is why the adversion of nuclear power baffles me, because it's such yeah. a... Um, well, right. That's the other point, too, and this is, this is one of the areas where I will do battle with um, the Greens, because nuclear power is actually a very safe, effective form of power. Nuclear energy per kilowatt actually causes a lot less deaths than, say, coal or almost anything else, because... Um, there's relatively few accidents. And when, when there are, you, it's things like where you, you build a um, nuclear reactor at Fukushima, which is in one of the most unstable countries on Earth, which is Japan, and next to an ocean which is well known to be a source of tsunamis. Now, Australia is completely the opposite. We are the most stable continent on Earth, and in most of the country there's no risk of tsunamis at all. So, and also we've got plenty of land where we can store the wastes and so forth and where we can site these things. So Australia is an incredibly obvious place. And if we're serious about global warming, and I think it's a serious problem. Some people would say it's hard to doesn't matter too much, it won't cause too much harm. I think that's rubbish. 
I think there really is a huge problem with global warming and we really have to, to do something about it. Now, solar power is great, and I think it's becoming more affordable, it's becoming better, but it's episodic. It doesn't happen at night. There's problems with batteries. I think to put our whole future on the basis that we think the technology will improve enough, the solar power will save us, is a pipe dream. Nuclear is potentially cheap power and safe power, and we know that it'll solve the problem. And Australia's got plenty of uranium, too. We could be, we could be an energy superpower. We could be actually turning water into hydrogen and ammonia mm. and exporting that to the rest of the world and solving people's problems all over the place. Do you think the aversion sort is based on, let's say, fear from, let's say, for Chernobyl, right? So every time mm. anyone talks about nuclear, they bring up Chernobyl, right? We don't know the Chernobyl. Do you think that that's where the real fear and aversion comes to it from? Yeah, or? well, you, you, you look at nuclear power used in the worst way. Chernobyl, you know, the Soviet Union, incredibly inefficient, no public supervision, very loose attitude towards safety. The stuff that happened there when, when Chernobyl went off, the way that the workers, so many of them died because they just were exposed to radiation. They just didn't care about people very much. How different is that the way we do it? And I said the other example is, is Fukushima and this kind of thing. But my goodness, what a dumb place to build a nuclear power plant. Mm. There's so much of Australia which would be a thousand times better. So people choose these extreme example of bad nuclear planning and they and they and they they just forget about the damage. I mean, the seas rise by ten meters, fifteen meters. You're gonna half of Bangladesh is underwater. Whole countries are gonna to go to beneath the sea. I think Mauritius and Kiribati, Kiribati and all those sort of places, you know, mm-hmm. hundred years will be disappearing due to the the water level rising, so Yeah. So I think I think nuclear power really should be in the mix and I think we should be be investing in that and learning how to do it more cheaply and more safely and more efficiently and we should be helping to make the world a better place. I can see great uses for it. If, if, if nuclear power was cheap enough we could use it for desalination of seawater for example and we could make the deserts bloom. We could have you know masses of, of tropical forests and food forests you know, in in what's now large parts of desert in the country. We could do magnificent things if we had enough power. It's just another reason why you like Monty Burns isn't it? Have your own nuclear plant. You can, have, you can have your own one, right? For people watching who don't know, Jim loves Monty Burns, so this is just another. Yeah, another well, why. maybe the, a bit more. You wouldn't have Homer as your safety inspector, though. Would someone be more high? No, I think I think I think Homer Simpson might. I would not employ him for safety inspection. <laughs> now, the other thing I wanted to say too about about um, so many of the policies that are supposedly green are actually very bad for the environment, and one of the principal ones is this business about zoning. And in Victoria, we call it green wedge. I don't know what it is in other states, but right. it, what it means is you've laid vast areas of the city that you can't subdivide the land. Like here, where we are now in Murubak, you can walk uh, and you can, there's, there's farms all over the place. There's, um, there's a five acre covenants. Like our house next door, you can't divide below five acres. Now, this is, this is wonderful for millionaires because this is a great property. We're only sort of seven minutes from the station. There's shops, there's schools, there's all kinds of facilities. And we have these vast acres. Millionaires like myself have these vast acreages, which we couldn't afford to buy if they're properly priced. Um, and that's terrible for the environment because what it means is it, it, it pushes up the price of housing in the cities. And then people have to travel great distances. Mm. If you go out to satellite towns of Melbourne, say, it's 5.30 in the morning, you'll see these vast numbers of cars driving the city, burning billions of tonnes of, of, producing billions of tonnes of carbon dioxide fuming into the air because they can't afford to live in the cities because the cities are so restrictive to making housing so expensive. It is, it's insanely ungreen policy. Mm. 
it makes so much more sense to allow the cities to become dense. And this is, this is the argument for The Economist too. Economist is a very, very green magazine, but it's also speaking very strongly. It's a wonderful magazine too. Um, also speaks very strongly about the need for more affordable housing. It's so unfair that people can't afford to buy a house. So it's kind of like the same policy, which is restricting covenants on land, actually put enormous more, more carbon dioxide into the air. They speed up global warming. At the same time, they make housing unaffordable. It's, it's, it's wrong on every sense of the world. And that's what annoys me is people like the Greens who, who are supposedly in favour of the environment, they support policies which are dreadfully destructive to the environment. And if anybody's watching this who's a Greens voter, <laughs> go and talk to your party and tell them to get some sensible policies that really protect the environment. They'd be worth voting for. Yeah, don't inbox the social pages because um, I'll get that one. So. But, uh, but it's quite funny because in the regional areas, because I grew up in Warner, which is a country town, it's heavily based on dairy farming. So a lot of dairy farms in. Greens will never, ever win there. It's always Liberal or win by Labor. It's quite funny that the actual in the regional areas, which have all the, let's say, the, the, the farms, the environment, all that sort of stuff there, you never see really a Green, a green member or a Green representative at all. They tend to get shot down very heavily. It's always Liberal or Labor in those areas. <sighs> so it's quite funny. But I think many green policies, like I'm talking about, are very destructive to ordinary people. And I, I don't, I don't favour the Greens as a party. The only thing, the Greens will be very good for our business, because they've gotten the power, then, then the economy will go into a tailspin and we'll be able to sell a lot more franchises. But, <laughs> but let's say, with, well, with, people don't realise we're actually around 50Ks east of Melbourne, and Jim, you have a massive complex here, and you've got all native... Mm. You've had to plant native trees, and you've planted a lot of them. So yeah, we've planted I don't know thousands of native trees. We've also chosen a lot of trees that attract um, na- uh, birds. Yes, you have a lot of animals. Like there's obviously possums and all sort of stuff. And yeah, and be- beautiful flowering gums. Yeah. So you see beautiful um, parakeets and rosellas all over the place in this property. It's it's really very nice actually. I, I love native vegetation myself. I really really. Mm. Really, really enjoy it. I've spent time in the bush. Always did. So, what countries do you think do it really well? Because I know I like. I'll, from an outside looking, Germany obviously has a lot of. When you go, there's a heap of wind farms, for example. It's a, mm. it's a bit funny with here. You know, don't make the Australian seems so they don't use much wind farms. But in Germany, wind farms literally everywhere. You got Netherlands, those sort of places. Which country do you think is doing it pretty well? Well, the Europeans are uh, obviously ahead of the scale in these kinds of areas. They have a lot of good ideas. Wind, wind farms have got a problem too, though, because the um, I mean, wind power is relatively economical in the right sense. It's actually one thing that competes with, with um, fossil fuels fairly well. But the trouble with that is that there's limited places that you can put them because they, they can be very destructive to the environment. Like, they kill a lot of birds, like eagles and so forth. So, in a sense, though, it's, it's good to have them. There's also environmental costs and also the sheer visual intrusion in the community. That's why, to me, things like solar power and nuclear power are far better options because there really isn't isn't any negative to the environment. Mm. I mean, wind, wind has its place, but it's never going it's never going to replace fossil fuels. Mm. But but nuclear, solar, potentially could. So what do you think? What do you think the next twenty years will look like? Do you think it will? the governments will eventually have to just relent to the power because you'll have the demographic, let's say my age or my generation, sort of the ones who are probably a bit more concerned with it, actually moving into those positions of power, then getting real. Do you think there'll be enough time or how much damage will be done or what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to think that we're going we're gonna to get a handle on this. I mean, the, the great thing about it, one of the things that would be nice to do, if you did do a carbon tax, apart from compensating people so that they're not worse, ordinary people aren't worse off, what we should do is put a lot more money into research. We should be, we should be really heavily subsidising any research into, into renewable power because that is the best way to do it. Well, I think it's quite frustrating. It's just the, 
like with technology, obviously you get better, let's say phones for example, right? The first phones, and obviously costs come down, costs come down. But it's quite a frustrating for me because I love electric cars too. I love, I'd love a Tesla, but to buy a Tesla, like it's just like you want to do the right thing, but you just can't. And that's and that's the problem. But the technology costs will come down eventually, but you have to wait and then all that damage is done. Well, I just don't see where, you know, I just don't see a solution in the short term for people, for the average person to really get really environmentally friendly, unless they make those changes, like you said, if they actively stop eating meat for those reasons and all that sort of stuff. I think, you know, I just think it's, it's for the, for, let's say for somebody who might not be well off, it's sort of financially, it's not, it's not feasible for them to really do those sort of things. Yeah, yeah, it's all very well for people who are plenty of money and surplus cash and stuff to be talking about those kind of things. Though, mm. don't mind you, you know, beef is pretty expensive sort of meat. I think it's disgusting. Actually. I don't even like the taste. Well, of I love beef. Good. I love my beef. So I love, I love, I have. But it's, I have a... it's very bad for the environment. It's very bad for you. And it's actually interesting that that the more you go towards environmentally sensitive eating the better your health's likely to be. Well, that's have you seen that? I was a fake meat company or synthetic meat company that listed recently. On the New York Stock Exchange went busted, uh, went went gangbusters. Sorry, um, they're basically petri dish, you know, steaks. You want to call them like that. So synthetic meats is something that um, is coming in. But like the whole veganism movement, for environmental reasons, seems to be um, kicking up a lot. You know, obviously yeah. when you buy, you know, I buy a lot of protein and stuff now. It's all vegan. It's all plant based. There's, I know that there's a grilled grilled burger chain are all doing our plant based beef. They're very nice. Actually. Yeah. Are they? Really? Yeah, yeah, they've started moving towards it. So. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I, I like their, their burgers, but I only had the veggie burgers, of course. Yeah, so they've started introducing um, vegan vegan patties or whatever, whatever they are, like replicating meat, but they're all vegan, you know, plant-based um, patties and stuff. Now, you'll find that a lot of actual chains eventually will relent and will start be doing that. So it'll be quite interesting to see what happens and obviously the environmental toll. But I come from an area of dairy farms, so they're probably... <laughs> The complete opposite. So well, I'm not very, not very great. <laughs> Dave always won't like me. We we drink soy milk in my house. Oh dear. I don't. Yeah. I don't no like, good. Um, no good. I like cheese though. We have we have cheese. We had a pizza last night. It's really nice. But a, a really nice sort of Mediterranean Mediterranean vegetarian pizza. Warnable cheese and butter. It's the best in best in the world. Saputo Group owns it down in Warnable. <laughs> so there is one because a lot of my cousins and uncles are dairy farmers back home. So I'm quite sort of hooked into it. And be well, what do you think then? Let's say for example, all these. Let's say in terms of policy. Let's say all these beef. Let's say, for example, beef is on the decline, all these farms start closing down. We're going to have all this land, for example. What do you think is going to happen there? If, say, dairy farmers start selling up, you're going to have all this land in the regional areas. What, what do you think will happen there? Well, the, the, the point of it is that, that you can grow. If you want to, if you want to use land productively, um, trees are actually the, the best way to do it, food-bearing trees. If you actually plant certain kinds, and there's some, there's some beautiful Australian, like bunya pines, which are very, very, produce very, very nutritious nuts, and actually, in terms of, of useful calories per square, per hectare, these are many, many, many times more efficient. So you think it might be just a, shift, just a shift in what they would obviously... Vegetarian food's really nice. I, 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 I don't... I suppose, I suppose it's the way you talk yourself into it, but I really, <laughs> I really like, I like the taste of... And not, not even fake meat. I like, I like stuff that's actually vegetarian, like a, a nice... Mediterranean pizza, which isn't particularly healthy, I suppose, because mm. it's got a lot of cheese and stuff. You have a lot of pizzas. Oh, you like your pizza? I love pizzas. Yeah. A really nice pizza is, is as, as good as anything. You know, you go out there. It's not expensive, too. We went out last night with our family. We spent 40 bucks. Mm. It, was, it, was, it, was a nice, it was a nice meal. And we bought, actually, we had a bit of leftover from the pizza, so we bought it back and fed it to the chooks this morning. It's sort of interesting. It seems to be like a political affiliation, with, honestly, like, let's say we're vegan. I know you're you're more conservative, but if you're veganism, for example, somebody's a veganism or whatever it's associated with the Greens, then say somebody's a liberal or labor or whatever it is, you know, it's sort of weird how it's sort of 
shifted into those areas. You're you're a bit different to the norm, but the popular stuff, if you would look online, would be know. sort of fielded that way. So you're, you're supposed to you're supposed to have you're supposed to have you know you're supposed to stick to your tribes, and the whole country and the whole world is becoming more polarized these days between your your your, your right and your left, or however you, however you define it. And, and I refuse to be bound by by what. Yeah, you sort of shift, don't you? You sort of over here, then you're at, well, basically mm. to popular convention would be like all group of that stuff is over here or group here. But you're sort of, you know, if you think it's right, you're in here or you're in here. Or... When it comes to moral issues, like, like as I said, men using women's change rooms, I'm, I'm very, very conservative. Um, when it comes to other issues like the environment, obviously I'm what most people would see as, as on the other side. But also when it comes to things like the, 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 the gap between rich and poor, which I'd love to talk about yep. sometime, I, sure. am, I am very much in favour of a more equal society. I think our society is very... So, yeah, I don't... It'd probably not be easy to categorise. But to me, it's, you, you've got to read and make out your own decision. I mean, I read everything. I read The Economist. I read New Scientist. I read The Guardian. I read The ABC. I read The Left. I read The Right. I read everything. And, and I get information from all over. And you make up your own mind about what's important to you and what you what you value. Mm. So where do you think, in, do you think we'll get at the top of this problem in 10 years, 20 years? Can you see any hope for it or you don't think it will do much change? Because I, I think people from, look, I'm not saying this is everyone, but it seems to be my generation seems to take it a bit more seriously. I think it obviously, you know, I'm 31 now, so by the time people like me will get, would ever get into politics, be like the 50, that's 20 years, right? So 15 to 20 years maybe we start seeing some real changes happening, or do you think it'll be sooner than that? But if people can develop the will and if technology improves well enough, but it does depend so much on the policy decisions we make, are we going to maintain our ridiculous aversion to nuclear power? If we do, then there's a very good chance that we won't meet the problem. If we, if we adopted proper policies and proper thinking, like carbon taxes, properly compensated for people, which would be politically more acceptable, um, then I think, I think potentially we, we could. What about a world solution then? Because obviously if we do all this good work down here, and you've got China, for example, or India, for example. Well, China's got massive problems with pollution. They're really, really concerned about all the coal burning and people... Oh, it's a disgrace. Have you ever been? Oh, you've, you've, been, you've been there, haven't you? Have no, you been not, not recently, no. I yeah. even, uh, last time I went was 18 years ago. But um, they're very concerned about pollution. If there was cost-effective ways of doing things, like if we had you know, solar energy becoming much, much more efficient, batteries becoming more cheaper and efficient, if we had nuclear power becoming, you know, more widespread and more efficient and cheaper, if we have these kinds of policies developed in the wealthiest countries, then people, countries like India and, and China would look at that and say, well, why would we want to burn coal when we can actually do it better with solar or nuclear, or whatever the, the better options are? And I think if we, can, if we can lead with the technology and show the technology, people don't want to learn because coal is... It's disgusting stuff. I mean, I, 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 I know I feel people who are involved in the industry, but it's, it's very, very damaging to the environment. It produces pollution, especially in, in third world countries. It's very inefficient. It produces a lot of carbon dioxide. It's, it's far worse than, say, gas even, and, and obviously vastly worse than solar or nuclear. And um, it's also quite a dangerous activity too. I get killed mining coal. It's far more dangerous... In, in, in something like nuclear energy is so. Well, what do you think about the problem in Adelaide, though? Obviously, South Australia has the, the largest is it the largest battery, whatever it is, which keeps the state going for about half an hour. That's that's the that's what I'm saying. So that's the problem because you're going to have that, and then you have all the other people on the other side argue and say, "Well, look at that. We need to have this." Well, what you've got is lunatic green thinking, which basically <laughs> doesn't look at the look at the most efficient way, which is the carbon tax type approach, which would simply naturally tend to push energy into the into the best areas. 
and they and they use sort of artificial government. You know, we're going to shut down this power plant. We're going to do that. We're going to do that without any concern for the consequences. And then you have brownouts and stuff. And the trouble is that kind of stupid thinking actually is not only inefficient, but it also turns people against it. And that's what, and that's what I'm trying to say. That's what I think's been because bad they see they see their power bills go up and up and up and up and up and up all the time. And they, and they blame the, the environmentalists who were doing this. But you don't need to do that. Mm. If you had a carbon tax and you raised the price of carbon, then you get this big, great, whacking, great money going into your bank account, which is the compensation for that. You say, wow, fantastic. I love green policies. They're great <laughs> because they actually help me, mm. not just the plutocrats. What, what really annoys me, though, is, is, the, is the most strident greenies are often the, the worst to support the environment. And I don't want to mention too many names, but you look at... Look at <laughs> well, here we go. Here look at, look at right. Prince Harry and Meghan, for example. Okay, <laughs> they're going on and on about how the environment is so important. What, what do they take? 11, 11 flights in private jet, even yeah. to go on a holiday, for heaven's sake. Or, or Prince Charles, who's, got, who's, who's known for private jets and extravagant use, got five vast mansions you know, bleeds carbon dioxide all over the place and then tells the rest of the planet you're supposed to tighten your belt. But, like, they, purchase, but they purchase a carbon offset, though. You know, when you go on the flights, they purchase... Oh, that's all garbage. <laughs> who, who knows what that means? It's a joke. It's, it's, it's a joke, and I get yeah. very annoyed. And you get someone like the Queen, whom I greatly respect. I, don't, I think we should be a republic. But anyway, that's a <laughs> different topic. Yeah. But the Queen, I greatly respect. I mean, she's the kind of... She'll go on a train up to Balmoral or, or um, you know... They'll fly, yeah. or um, Prince William, for example, and Kate will tend to fly commercial. I mean, I mean, it's just that it seems to me the, the more loudly you speak about the damage to the environment, the more damage you actually personally think you're allowed to do. So like, <laughs> I preach enough hot air about the environment. It doesn't matter how many tons of carbon dioxide I actually personally contribute because, because you know, listen to what I say, not what I do. Mm. That really, really annoys me. I tell you what, if if if. If Prince Charles does, um, outlives the Queen, we should be a republic. I really don't have no time for that guy. <laughs> I think we'll leave it there. It's been what grinds my gears with Jim. So if you want to watch this family, guys, you'll get that reference. But thanks for that, Jim. That was great little thoughts. Great thoughts there. And if everyone, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and the podcast on iTunes for some more great insights from the man himself. And uh, we'll see you again next week.